بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. Welcome to our April 11th Saturday uh, edition of uh, our podcast, the Life Hub podcast. And uh, for many people, they're celebrating Easter weekend. And this was the weekend that the President of the United States had stated that he wanted everyone to come out of their homes to end isolation, to uh, end this lockdown, uh, so to speak, and for business to return back to normal. Uh, the UFC president, Dana White, he wanted uh, UFC 249 to uh, happen next weekend on Saturday, so April 18th. He had scheduled uh, or he was working on scheduling a UFC 249 to occur. Uh, both of those plans are no longer uh, going to come to fruition. Uh, we're still in a state of lockdown. Uh, you know, if you look at the articles uh, coming out of New York right now, some of the information that's coming out of New York, uh, they're saying the amount of patients they're seeing every day, the amount of calls to 911 that they're receiving every day, it's like having 9-11 every single day. The amount uh, of uh, problems that they have to deal with, uh, the amount of um, infections, patients, death, uh, they need uh, these uh, ice cream trucks to house the bodies. They're digging mass graves uh, for people there. Uh, Trump has not stopped the lockdown in the United States. Uh, there's a ceasefire uh, in different parts of the world that were at war or you had foreign troops. Uh, they've returned home or you've stopped uh, the, these incursions, uh, these conflicts, uh, not because the powers that be or people who are in authority wanted it to, to happen because they had to have it happen. So, for example, UFC President Dana White, he said, we're going to make this happen. Uh, doesn't matter the pandemic. It doesn't matter what conditions that uh, we are enduring or we what we have to overcome. He said, I'm a problem solver. I'm going to make it happen. It's like the UFC and he was touting how great the UFC was, but uh, they had to cancel their show. Now, we all have some type of ability. We have all uh, an ability to do something. We have been given power and ability to do something. But we forget often, especially uh, if we don't uh, make some self-reflection, that all ability, all power is with Allah SWT. We deny the qadr of Allah SWT. And when Imam Ahmed was asked about the uh, what is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said this is the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, Ibn Umar, he stated that, you know, the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you to do in terms of your resourcefulness, what you can do for yourself. And also your inability is also the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So both of these things are... Uh, within the dominion of the qadr of Allah SWT. And so we find ourselves in a very uh, important situation because we should be asking ourselves, why am I so unable? 
Why am I so unable? And if I am unable, then we should look to the one that is able to do all things. So you have uh, presidents of the most powerful nations, powerful leaders wanting to do something and they are unable to do it. They're unable to do it. And uh, if we look in uh, Surah Al-Ahqaf, Ayah 33, after Allah SWT talks about, do they not see that Allah who created the heavens and earth was not worried by their creation, is able to give life to the dead. So after Allah SWT talks about uh, having the ability to create everything, to bring everything into existence without being uh, worried, without uh, being tired, without taking anything away from the power of Allah SWT. Uh, he did not need to rest after creating the heavens and the earth. Allah SWT did not need to rest uh, afterwards. He did not need a day of rest. So he did all of these different things at, uh, at the end. What does Allah SWT say? He says, Innahu ala kulli shayin qadir, That Allah is able to do all things. Allah SWT has power to do all things. And we should realize at a point like this, that it doesn't matter if it was uh, a tyrant, the person who was the most wealthiest person in the world, uh, leaders of nations, they all are humbled. They are uncapable. They're incapable. They've been rendered incapable. Uh, but uh, Allah is capable and able to do all things. And uh, these are times where uh, it can really uh, affect everyone. Doesn't matter if it's a believer. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a Muslim or a non-Muslim. We can uh, appreciate that as human beings, we need to be humbled. We are humbled at this time and that we should uh, look towards Allah SWT. We should look at the one who is capable to do all things. So uh, I want actually want to start off um, uh, today's um, you know, podcast with a reminder about the Qadr of Allah SWT. And uh, I want to transition now to our guest. Um, that uh, is somebody that uh, I have worked with for uh, several years. And uh, mashallah, tabarakallah, I have to say he's a very, very humble brother. Uh, he's uh, a very, um, I, I would say, talented brother. He has a very uh, great contribution to the dawah. And we've experienced that contribution and we've appreciated that contribution, especially in Canada. And, um, you know, this this whole podcast, we started off, you know, kind of organically, spontane spontaneously. And, uh, you know, I kind of asked him uh, last moment, I said, oh, you know, I was thinking about the situation actually in the United Kingdom. Uh, I just read an article that uh, they had another 917 deaths. Uh, so they're being hit very, very hard, uh, especially in the United Kingdom. Uh, and uh, from what I understand uh, so from some of the other UK brothers, that there is a disproportional amount of Muslims that are also being affected based on the ratio of the population. So um, uh, my mind started to think about uh, some of the dear brothers that we have in UK. And I wanted to connect with uh, brother Abdullah Andalusi, and he was kind enough to accept the invitation. And so uh, I'd like to welcome Brother Abdullah Andalusi to the program, uh, to the podcast, and so that we can uh, make some reflections, we can make some connections, inshallah, 
into how things are going uh, in the United Kingdom. So I think we are going to have him on shortly or right now. Yes, alhamdulillah. So assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, welcome to the program, brother. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother, thank you very much for inviting me uh, onto, onto this. Uh, uh, I, I do appreciate we, we uh, everyone now is doing meetings like this now online. Uh, people yes. who are told by their bosses that they can't work, they have they must work in the office and they can't work from home are now realizing just how much of their job they actually could do from home. So everyone yes. is now doing this from their uh, their houses, their their studies offices in the house and all kinds of things so yeah brothers, it's good to see you again i don't have to wait um until next year <laughs> yes i know it was it was a yearly meeting alhamdulillah we were able to get together in person and uh, i'm not a big uh guy of doing things online and recording things and whatnot and so this pandemic kind of changed uh, everything because we do events in masajid uh, every month uh, we're doing conferences, courses, uh, halaqat in person. So I'm more of an in-person type of person, you know, guy uh, in terms of my MO. And uh, this has, you know, uh, caused me to change as well and say, okay, you know what? Uh, but it's a blessing too. It's a blessing uh, because, uh, as you mentioned, we usually it's uh, it's not as frequent, but maybe we can make this more frequent, inshallah, and uh, put some uh, positive uh, contribution out there. I wanted to first start off by asking you, how are you doing personally? So how are things going for you personally uh, during this pandemic? How are you doing uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How are things going for you? Well, subhanAllah, um, it's, 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 that's now become a big question because there's so many things have happened in just the last month. Um, and we didn't have a lockdown about mo one month ago, more or less, oh, sorry, a month and a month and a week ago or something like this. And then suddenly it became completely surreal. People were told to vacate the streets and only go out when necessary. And then uh, when uh, initially when the death rate was very low and only a few people had it, not everyone was taking it seriously. But as it started to mount, people realized, uh, wait a second, this doesn't seem to be seasonal influenza <laughs> that's hitting us. Yeah, yeah. something more a than just the flu. Yeah, a little, a little more serious. And so. It was very surreal, uh, uh, and um, I also noticed uh, there were many articles online that people started to watch uh, on streaming, like uh, TV streaming uh, kind of platforms, uh, uh, films and, and videos related to pandemics and you know yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, plagues and things like that. So, why are they trying to get into the spirit of it? I don't know why they're watching those things. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to it's like to, you know in Christmas time the. Everyone starts watching all the Christmas movies and things like that. Halloween. Everyone starts watching scary movies. So yeah, it's the same thing. The pandemic yeah. season. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's not it's not a festival, but uh, so yeah. subhanallah, that's what you kind of uh, uh, you kind of had. And then there's I've uh, just been kind of trying to sit back and observe and see what's happening. And I um, you know I don't usually uh, instantly respond to a lot of um, events and things because I try to just observe and um, as new information is coming and we're still trying to learn a lot more about this this um, COVID-19 um, strain of the coronavirus family of viruses. Um, 
Although some people don't realize when they call it the coronavirus, actually, uh, they don't realize that many people if throughout the world have had it in a much more common form, um, a common the coronavirus as causes the common cold, one of the coronaviruses, uh, one of the, uh, causes a common cold symptoms and that no one's really seen that to be uh, a problem in, in the past, of course, but this is a different strain of it. So it's, it's much more closely related to SARS. But alhamdulillah, you know, this people don't appreciate the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa is that SARS was much more deadly, um, 10% mortality rate, basically. Mm. So 10%. This one is more around, well, depending on which country you go to, you know, you look at, what have you, you can vary between 5 or 4% to uh, about 2%, 1%. Um, depending on um, the, the country you go to and its health care system and the people's health and diet and, and a whole number of other factors. So, subhanAllah. Um, but but uh, one of the things I've, I'm actually kind of alarmed to to kind of witness is that London is basically the epicenter of the COVID-19, you know, kind of epidemic in Europe. Uh, highest amount of deaths. Uh, UK has actually had the highest amount of deaths in one day. Of all of, of all of Europe, so not even Italy had this rate of death per day, which is last time wow. I checked, it's a nine a 980 people passed away within a 24 hour period. Why do you and, think that is? Why is it hitting UK so hard? Or London specifically? Well, you know, as I said, brother, you know, I um I, I don't like to, uh, to to speculate because you know there's, there's a whole number of possible factors. Yeah, just uh, from your observation, because you're on the ground there. So, what do you see around you that could be causing, you know, this to occur at such a rate? Well, I, I mean, obviously, London is very built-up city. It's in population-wise, it's kind of comparable to New York, and we are also seeing that New York is being the epicenter of the pandemic in in the United States of America. So, likewise, you're seeing it in in London. So that's that's what I think, because London is has uh, about roughly uh, 8 million uh, or just over 8 million people in terms of population, depending on where you draw the boundaries and uh, built up areas. And then when you when people started to realize when the penny dropped, as the uh, English expression goes, that this is something much more serious. They all went out and started panic buying and some didn't take it seriously. Some were still going to clubs, but the the panic buying um, forced large amounts of people into supermarkets very close distance, uh, you know, everyone's all jostling with each other to grab a uh, uh, toilet roll for some unknown and inexplicable reason uh, that uh, the... the, the how, how's your supply? Properties of toilet roll. I don't know <laughs> why they went how, to it. Sorry. Yeah, how, I said, no, how, how's your personal supply basic needs besides, you know, a toilet paper? Because <laughs> now you have to be... <laughs> Well, you, you know, as I said, with, with, with Muslims, we don't really go through a toilet roll as fast as um, people um, who don't have the particular hygiene practices that Muslims do. So we, we don't focus on toilet roll as the primary means of cleaning ourselves. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's supplementary, uh, but not the primary means. And um, so I don't think toilet roll pro uh, supplies are a big problem for, the, for Muslims uh, generally. But it was when the food in many areas started to run out and... Um, yeah. I was very disgusted to see that old people, uh, you know, just didn't have, they, you know, they, they couldn't compete with all these crowds, people buying up everything. And many of them are going to supermarkets and the supermarkets were bare. And of course, you also have the people who work in our health service, the NHS, National Health Service. 
And, you know, many of them are working, you know, 12 hour shifts, maybe more sometimes, you know, uh, double shifts and triple shifts. And then when they finally get to the supermarket to buy themselves food and their supplies, you know, again, the shelves were empty. Um, to be fair, in response to this, though, some supermarkets implemented a kind of seniors hour where for one hour in the morning, only seniors were allowed in. And um, depending on which supermarket, either seniors and um, health workers were allowed in. Uh, and uh, I think that was a better idea, although I would, you know, an hour just for seniors, I think is, is important. But subhanAllah, um, and this kind of, I suppose, links back to something I think that uh, was is actually beneficial for Muslims, um, which is well beneficial for everyone, but beneficial for Muslims in the sight of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Which is, I think, many Muslims uh, in the UK. Um, I, I can't speak for Canada. You, your Canadians uh, seem to be very sociable people, but in in England and London, uh, London and many cities like New York as well. Um, such cities are quite lonely places, strangely, despite the fact there's such an urban conglomeration and concentration of people. And many people who live right next to each other just don't talk to each other, right? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, I mean, like, I I've seen the neighbourhoods in, in Canada, uh, at least uh, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Toronto, because uh, I don't know that so much, but I've obviously been to the, the west side uh, quite a lot of, of Canada and, uh, yes. and Edmonton and, and the prairies and so on and so forth. And of course, yeah. Neighbors actually are quite more distant from each other, you know, physically distant, but there's actually much more of a, of a kind of social bonding and help and reciprocity. Whereas in, in, in cities like London, there's not that not so much. So what I saw was that now when the government was urging people, recommending people to say, look, we have a lot of vulnerable people, a lot of elderly people who no one really talks to apart from maybe social workers, right? And that we should actually look out for them. We should reach out to them, see what they need. Uh, you know, be obviously maintaining distance, not mm. trying to get them not to leave their house to buy things, but to actually you know, deliver food to themselves, to them to deliver um, supplies they need, and, and even just generally other neighbours who are not uh, vulnerable in the vulnerable category, but of whom people don't usually interact with. What we see now is that people start to reach out and actually interact with each other. And I was telling, um, I urged Muslims a couple of weeks ago to actually. Uh, to actually get involved in, if you're not doing this already, but you should have been doing it already, right? But yes. as a Muslim, right, in the right of the neighbor, you know, as the, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, said, the right of the neighbor, you know, he was he was worried when he heard uh, Angel Jibreel tell him about so many rights the neighbor has on each other, on other neighbors that he thought it would also include inheritance, right? Yes. And um, and now now we're seeing that you know, this is actually a good opportunity to start doing something that we weren't doing before for those people who are not not, not doing it or to increase it and meet new people uh, that uh, that uh, they never met before. And if Muslims were leading on this as well, if Muslims were, you know, going above and beyond, which I'm seeing a lot of Muslims are doing, alhamdulillah, uh, it's very good, um, then this is a great dawah and the, the dawah of adab and the dawah of akhlaq. And I think this is a great opportunity Every test that Allah gives us is, is always an opportunity. That's why it's a test. Every test is an opportunity. And this is an opportunity for us uh, to actually be, uh, to follow the sunnah uh, to, where we were perhaps more shy or perhaps apathetic or thought we were ourselves too busy to do it beforehand. So I think that was a great, that was one of the great outcomes, at least for uh, maybe improving something that would happen, that, a, a situation that would maybe continue after the pandemic is over. Yeah, I see. I noticed similar observations. You know, you walk uh, in just around the neighborhood, you see more people uh, walking 
just generally walking in the streets, you know what I mean, uh, to get exercise, to get out there. And people are pretty friendly. They're saying, hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, nodding at you, waving at you. Um, you know, as you see people out there with their families walking around, people running, uh, people on their bikes. So you see that uh, going on definitely. And I saw some statistics earlier as well. For example, United States, major crime has uh, diminished by 20%. So it's been reduced by 20%. And in uh, New York specifically, it's gone down by 33%. So, uh, and, and that's what we're talking about, uh, major crime. I, you know, you do see though, uh, there are there are certain opportunists like so for example you're seeing what we call here porch pirates so because there's a lot more deliveries you're seeing people uh, you know using that opportunity by stealing things from people's porches uh, from their front door and so that's uh, something to contend with there was uh, uh, a news story earlier today which I saw where uh, people did a home invasion in the United States and they were able to, they were wearing the gloves and the masks, so they had their faces covered. And so you see these people with gloves and masks, faces covered, knocking on your door. So the guy answered it. And uh, so they tried to break into the house and their faces were, you know, because they have this natural concealment on their faces. So I, I believe one of the, because it's the United States, so one of them was shot. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea to try to do that uh, home invasion style when people already have a heightened level of fear and anxiety. So um, you, you do see uh, there, there, there are undoubtedly a lot of benefits that are occurring, but um, I feel that uh, people need to ask themselves deeper questions in terms of the why. Why was it for so long that we didn't care for our neighbors? Why is it for so long we neglected our seniors? Like what if uh, an elderly couple died next door? Would I know that they had passed away? Like, would I have even known unless like the smell becomes so bad or something happens that I would know that somebody uh, passed away next door? Um, so I think that's a, a big question that we should be asking ourselves. Why is this happening, for example? Why is this occurring? Why are we in, in this state of fear? Why are we responding now? We can end wars because of this. So maybe those wars didn't have, weren't such a certainty or there wasn't uh, such a need for them in the first place. You know, I, I was talking with a previous guest. Maybe this is peeling back the curtain on modern society. Why do we have to work so hard for so long uh, to, uh, to provide for ourselves materially, you know, all these different things, uh, be away from our families and, 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 and whatnot. So I think, uh, you know, we should ask ourselves, I think, those deeper questions because, uh, you know, we are passing the time and, and some people are trying to do it, you know, product, you know, be productive uh, during this uh, time by baking and exercising and they're putting all this stuff on Instagram of like, you know, everything that they're accomplishing uh, at home. You know, you have to homeschool your kids now and whatnot. So again, I think you got to ask yourself, uh, those deeper why questions, you know, what is my intention for, for doing all of this stuff, you know? Um, and I think that's when we will have hopefully lasting change because the other, uh, part of this, and I discussed this with a previous guest, and I think you might appreciate this as well, uh, is that we're giving our governments an incredible amount of power. You know, we're surrendering a lot of our civil liberties, 
uh, they're able to track now. They're talking about tracking people with their phones where, where if they're abiding by some of these lockdown rules, these curfew rules, uh, they're being able to monitor a lot of things. You have now in certain countries drones that are going around neighborhoods and monitoring people and uh, you know communicating with them. So there is a heightened level of surveillance. And I believe um, recently Edward Snowden spoke on this as well, uh, that uh, you're giving your governments, and we're, we're talking about the Emergencies Act being enacted here very soon in Canada, possibly. So they're setting the framework for the Emergency Act, which was formerly known as the War Measures Act, which gives the government you know, far more uh, powers to control its population. So now, after the fact, if I, I feel if you don't ask those right why questions, instead of getting maybe some moral lessons, some spiritual lessons, you look to your government, okay, you, you're controlling the situation, you're... Uh, you know, saving us. You're the ones who are going to save us, our governments, not Allah, but governments are saving us. And so now you look to them as this authority figure that you're willing to subjugate a lot of your free will. So instead of submitting yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you're more submissive to uh, maybe authoritarian structure. You know what I mean? So I think those why questions need to be answered on a much deeper level. Why do I feel in the state of fear? I'm changing my pattern of behavior, you know, out of the state of fear. Now, uh, out of fear of what? Out of fear of death, out of fear of, uh, you know, you know, this, you know, this inf infection. Although it's not, uh, as you mentioned, as uh, as uh, as harmful as other infections and whatnot. But because of this, it's heightened level. Uh, we're willing to change so much of our behavior but there is a liability towards that because somebody can abuse that right the authoritarian governments whatever governments can abuse this but if that fear had now be is redirected to allah who has power over all things as we talked about at the beginning then i believe we can benefit far more and it can be much more of a lasting uh benefit what what are, what are your thoughts yeah so uh, just to kind of i suppose um uh clarify one thing because I don't maybe it was not recorded uh, and I said it, I said it earlier on so before the session started I was talking about that people don't appreciate um, the mercy of Allah even in, in these situations so they say oh look uh, you know uh, COVID-19 uh, as one of the members of the coronavirus family which includes SARS and MERS uh, otherwise known as Middle East Respir uh, Respiratory Syndrome um, they say oh look at you know the death rate it's killing, um, depending on where you go and, and what what uh, health system, system you look at, uh, three, four, four to five percent, sometimes three percent or two percent, depending on which country. Um, whereas what SARS basically mortality rate was 10 percent and MERS, the mortality rate is 34 percent. So that's one in three people will die. One in three people will die from yes. uh, MERS. A previous strain of the coronavirus, it was, it's been somewhat contained, um, and it's it, it is strangely spread in in the Middle East through um, uh, in camels are quite are quite uh, known infectors and vectors of that, but um, and SARS as, as well. SARS was, was was contained, but those were mortality rates much worse. And then of course you've got you know uh, bubonic uh, plague, which was something that some people estimated that it killed about 60% of the population of Europe uh, and mm. and there were continuing infections of bubonic plague throughout the world lasting into just 
even the inter well, this, it still exists amongst us in different strains, but uh, it's uh, it's treatable for to, to some extent. Uh, there are so many uh, infections, of course, and obviously Ebola as well is, is another one of those one of those infections that that gay people were scared. Um, I think why I mention this is firstly because people uh, seem to have a short memory uh, from human history. I mean, it's, it's part of the the word insan to describe us from the Arabic word nisyan to mean, you know, forgetful, right? <laughs> We're very forgetful. Um, yes. That, what, 101 years ago, you had Spanish flu, and Spanish flu, the mortality rate of Spanish flu was actually uh, around 0.1% uh, uh, roughly. Um, so it was similar, but it just was just so widespread that it, it killed people just by numbers, right? Just by the numbers. And I think one in three people in this, in this planet was actually infected by um, Spanish flu. And I think what this serves firstly is that we're not, we're, uh, human beings generally seem never to be appreciative, right? That things could have been so much worse. They don't understand, uh, generally speaking, um, how precarious life is in this universe. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, for all these atheists that think that science can solve all their problems and they now are, are, are uh, independent and are, are, you know, not vulnerable, like the... Um, uh, like the the verse in the Quran which talks about uh, the, this this person who was uh, ungrateful and did, uh, did did kufr because he thought he was self-sufficient right you see he thought himself to be self-sufficient and this is a reminder that basically um, and this this is a very small reminder by the way that we are actually very pre precariously poised not just even about pandemics or contagions but also for example uh, all it takes is one super volcano to emerge and uh, basically cause another mass extinction event. Uh, you could also have an asteroid that hits us. And the people think asteroids are very uncommon or rare. Um, the Oort cloud surrounds the solar system. It is basically a sphere filled with asteroids, rocks. And when, when some of them get knocked and do kind of elliptical orbits, they are basically sometimes referred to them as comets, right? But there are many... Um, there are so many space rocks out there. There's the Juniper Belt, of course, the usual, um, obviously, culprit for uh, uh, asteroids uh, uh, kind of being flung around. Um, I mean, our moon is created with so many impacts just to demonstrate. And that's that's just the moon. You know, you know what about Earth? We don't understand. We don't fully appreciate. I mean, the sun could get brighter by one percent and cause extinction. It, it yes. is slowly getting brighter, by the way, it's slowly getting hotter. But it would take maybe about a billion or two uh, billion years for it to get to, for it to be something quite uh, significant, or a couple, a couple of millions of years for it to be quite significant enough to cause issues. So we we just really don't appreciate how precarious um, a life is. And Sapana, I mentioned it in a lecture I gave um, when I, uh, about the modern world and how Islam can address the modern world. And I said that when people think that oh Islam's in, in is something in the past, but we have we we humans have used uh, secular uh, secular worldviews, and we've used um, the studies of science, which obviously they don't they didn't really look into where they got their science from, of course. <laughs> but uh, they thought, well, we we've solved problems, epidemics, contagions. We've had we have treatments for these things. We've we've moved ahead, and yet the death rates in in modern day West are, are increasing. People say that cancer one in two people now before i used to, when i first heard about this it was one in four then it became one in three now one in two people in their life will experience some form of cancer basically is this an improvement i've said 
this you're going to get a life expectancy that will revert back to our ancestors and even then many of our ancestors actually had had kind of long lives they didn't eat that much they didn't they ate well and they exercised because they had to and they're actually you know their bodies were actually much more um, healthier than than uh, well, today uh, Sapana, um you know the native uh, na the native uh, americans or native canadians um whichever nomenclature you want to use first nations um like yeah they were very vulnerable to to diseases that europeans brought but before the europeans arrived they actually hardly experienced um, illness and disease their immune system wasn't prepared for um people that came from cities that were basically petri dishes incubating a whole host of diseases cities have always been where diseases come from right uh, historically speaking uh, because yes. they're just a petri dish right so subhanallah i just wanted to reflect to kind of um, obviously make the listeners out there really just appreciate that firstly this is nothing compared to what Allah could do um, you know you know if if if, the, if and has done throughout history and secondly is that we need to learn uh, gratitude but we also need to remember just how dependent and we are on Allah and how precarious life is and that's really I think a lesson I think that would be great but it would be very beneficial if people could walk away from this uh, for those who, who Allah chooses to let walk away from this that they can choose to basically walk away from this with a heightened appreciation a heightened taqwa and for those who don't believe in in God to actually real uh, let their fitra resonate in them uh, and and drag them back kicking and screaming to what it was innate in us all along something that we recognize a dependence on the creator of the universe I think a lot of people uh it would be surprising to see uh, how many people are celebrating Easter even in their own homes this weekend uh, and they're coming back live I, I received um, you know some emails from uh, many professionals like non-muslim professionals saying you know this is a time for us to reconnect to God and like uh, you know and and really take home the lessons of Easter and whatnot so it's it, it's as you said it's it's innate it's the fit fitra that when you are given this type of uh, turmoil when you're put in this type of uh, stressful situation for you to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not like you turning to yourself saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm such a great uh, person, I'm such a great intellectual, and, uh, you know, what what is your degrees going to do for you if you get cancer? You know what I mean? What is your, uh, you know, all your worldly accomplishments going to do to you uh, when you are on your deathbed? You can't take that with you on the grave. I want you to think about this you know, subhanAllah, like uh, in New York, can you can 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 you imagine the that they're having to put people in mass graves? You know, the, the amount of the body count that they're having, and uh, obviously they're being affected greatly by that. But the whole world is being affected, and we need to take that lesson because it's now it's affecting the whole world. Like a lot of the conflicts and a lot of the poverty in the world. Uh, we're able to be unscathed from that in, in a lot of Western societies. And uh, that uh, insulation sometimes gives us this false sense of security. You know, it gives us this, you know, this inflation of our ego. Everything is okay. We're all good. Uh, but uh, that, that, that true connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is oftentimes impeded because of that. The lack of uh, harm or the lack of you know having this type of conflict in your life the lack of this type of fear of survival 
sometimes, and the scholars have talked about this, uh, becomes uh, a it's a worse fitna than actually going through a harmful tribulation. Because you can put yourself, you can intoxicate yourself in that state. You can be just intoxicated with safety, security, and all your basic necessities being met. So it's a big, I, I agree with you, it's a big window uh, for us to appreciate, um, you know, connecting to Allah SWT. Because again, I don't think we will learn the lessons if we don't ask those deeper why questions. So for example, Singapore, they're saying this is the example of how we deal with the coronavirus. Okay, look at their policies. Instead of saying, look at how Allah was merciful to them. And guess what? Singapore is having a resurgence of cases now. Okay, uh, you know, Sweden, uh, they were touting, okay, you know, we're going to do herd immunity and uh, we're just going to tell certain people to stay at home. And now within uh, Sweden, they're having, uh, compared to their neighbors, uh, highest rates of uh, cases uh, occur uh, within uh, their country at this time. Uh, you know, Allah SWT, He tells us in the Quran, Remember me and I will remember you. This is a time for us to remember uh, Allah. This is the time. If you don't remember uh, Allah SWT now, and if we don't do it in the right way, you know, and be grateful to me and never be ungrateful uh, to me. So this is the time for us to look, go in that state of being grateful because that state of gratitude, I believe you're able to prioritize the right things in your life. You know, uh, I know we've spoken about this before, how one of the most annoying things in modern society is how we complain about the most minuscule things. Like we get, we get triggered, uh, brother, right? From like, you, 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 before, what were the posts? Prior to this pandemic, Oh, this commercial wasn't woke enough. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm super offended. And I'm going to write pages and pages of how badly I'm triggered right now. Okay? None of that is happening right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one is being triggered by these, like, uh, minuscule, non-controversial things. Because now it's like, hey, human life, it's, everything's brought into perspective now. Uh, human life, are, are these conflicts, these wars really necessary? Do we really uh, need to uh, be so self-indulgent uh, when people are now just fighting over basic necessities, you know? So it's like almost this whole pandemic, even though it's really chaotic, has started to align the focus and priorities of people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, subhanAllah, this is, um, uh, I think this is this is the kind of reminders that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends to, to kind of show human beings, you know, who's really in charge of the universe. And for, for them really to uh, to appreciate that, well, all the things that we were, yeah, you're right. All the things that we were complaining about beforehand is really not what actually what matters. Family matters, your neighbors matter, those who, who, who are in need of help, they, you know, they matter and should be given, uh, they should have been given that attention beforehand. Um, I do want to caveat, and I, I want to say this very um, kind of uh, clearly because, even in the neighborhood, you know, in dealing with neighbors and so on and so forth, there were many, there were some neighbors that I didn't actually have regular contact with myself. You know, I'm not saying that I was perfect on this matter and I'm going to pontificate about this. Um, yes. But this situation actually helped me to um, to actually kind of break those walls down and actually speak to these people where beforehand, you know, there wasn't this kind of communication. Um, and I and that's what I thought. This is this is how it, it helped me. And so I thought that it would be great if it could also help many other people as well as just give an impetus to Muslims to better fulfill the Sunnah 
as this had done for, to my, for myself. Um, also, um, just kind of like something else, which was, uh, well, first and foremost, when I mentioned about the, uh, you know, the Spanish flu epidemic, um, the, uh, so, so normally, sorry, normal flu uh, kills at 0.1%. So I made a little verbal typo there. Normal normal seasonal flu, flu kills at 0.1%. Um, the Spanish flu epidemic, we don't know exactly what the mortality rate was, and it depends from country to country. Um, some people say, sorry, it, it could be around 2%, 3%. It's actually quite similar to uh, to um, the the coronavirus, but it was much more widespread, although one could argue that if we give it two years time, will we be saying the same thing, that it was as widespread as the Spanish flu? Allah knows best. Um, and so anyway, th th that's why you're, you're right in, in that this has really reframed people's priorities and just reminds them of their mortality. But I, I hope it's not one of those temporary reminders where people then yeah. they, get, they get worried, they get fearful. And then when they're, when they're uh, you know, as the Quran says, those who are you know, on a ship sailing in the sea, they, they, they pray only to him. Uh, they ask him for help. But when they get back on land, they then you know, take partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and you know, supplicate to them or, or, or what have you, take partners alongside, associates alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is really what's, what, what's, what's key. But you're also, you're also, I would concur with you in what you've said, you're also right about this is a time it shows us our true colours. You know, do we, who do we really, what are, are we really? Do we, are we people who are willing to help other people or we just want to be so risk averse when we care about ourselves? This is the kind of time where this reveals it. It reveals our true colors. I think many people don't understand the purpose of tests. The purpose of this life, in fact, is to reveal the, the true colors of all of us. Because if Allah was to put everyone into Jannah in the hereafter, there'll be people who just but for a different circumstance or fortune would have been, you know, mass murderers and killers and so on and so forth. But they get to put in Jannah because there's no test. But this life is here to show you know people's true colors and that's the point and i think this links yeah. to something else that um is being discussed which is the problem of evil i was asked this kind of question um about two days ago on the podcast and and like how do you how do you explain like why would god send pandemics and why would god i mean it's not the only thing that kills people uh you know there's been many things that's, that's been killing people every single day the death rate um i think in england uk on a normal day is around 1,000 to 1,500 people per day. Yeah. That's just the normal death rate in the UK. And, you know, I know it sounds really high, but out of a population of, uh, you know, 70 plus million people, um, that's just really low. And it represents, you know, people die from cancer, old age, uh, um, and even seasonal flu, uh, new, uh, complications of seasonal flu like pneumonia. Um, so I think the problem of evil is, is misplaced because it always carries the assumption that this life is meant to was created to be Jannah for us. Yes. Right. That Allah somehow exists to serve us. <laughs> and yeah. that if he's not doing that, and if he's giving us these, these, uh, if he's going to, uh, if people are dying due to pandemics, because as we all know, without pandemics, people would live forever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they don't figure this that way. We're, we're all going to die. This is, um, to 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 paraphrase a, a satire on Boris Johnson, our Prime Minister, when uh, there was a, there was a satirical magazine because he was he said in this speech um, he said that uh, be prepared for your loved ones to die basically, and that wasn't the best thing to say maybe necessarily to a people to try to um, prevent. It's not panic. very motivating. 
Yeah, yeah. And there was a satirical kind of uh, uh, picture of him uh, speaking to his girlfriend. And she said, oh, you know, what did you say to the people uh, yeah. to reassure them? I said, oh, I told them they were going to die. <laughs> right? um, uh, so so that's, basically, that's a nice that's a, that's a nice bedtime story, right? To comfort your kids with. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? The <laughs> um, prime minister says we should be prepared <laughs> to lose mommy and daddy. Um, Good night. It, <laughs> Close the light and run out. <laughs> it, um, I think someone um, there was a, a meme that went around on the on Twitter or what have you. I saw it. It, it paralleled his Boris Johnson speech with um, the villain from this movie called Shrek uh, in the years past, where this, this villain was telling his his soldiers to fight these fight Shrek and these fantasy creatures or what have you, and he was trying to motivate them. So he was telling them, look. Uh, you know, some of you are going to die, or a lot of you are going to die, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Yeah. And look at uh, what happened with him, right? Uh, he was uh, in intensive care at, at, at one point. Uh, I don't know if he, was he on a respirator as well? I, I believe there was reports that saying that he was on um, a, uh, a type of, uh, of oxygen supply I don't think it was a full-on mechanical ventilation. Yeah, you know, there's levels of it. Uh, it's almost like a CPAP machine, just some positive air pressure. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it, no one has uh, been saved from that. And um, you know, uh, when you um, when you said about this issue of evil, and atheists love to attack this, right? In terms of when they they look at religion and they try to attack, uh, you know, the concept of God. Um, uh, uh, there was a um, one of your from your country, uh, your famous com uh, comedians. Um, what's his name? Ricky Gervais. He was on, uh, and he's you know a very proud atheist. He was on um, uh, this show with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, and uh, he was uh, talking about this joke. It was a Holocaust joke. So he said that, you know, a person from the Holocaust died. He went to go meet God. And uh, he said, uh, you know, he said a joke. He said a joke to God. And God said to him, uh, that's not very funny. And then so the guy responded by saying, well, I guess you had to be there. You know, and then both of them were going, oh, wow, that's so deep on so many levels. Like, you know, it's a, it was a joke, but it's so deep, right? To, you know, because he has this atheist viewpoint, right? So, uh I, I was saying, okay, listen, listen, okay, let's let's go by that line of argumentation that the, what is the worst thing that could happen, you know, maybe to humanity, people will say it's genocide. Okay, that's the worst thing. So the worst thing humanity can experience is genocide. Let's take that out then, okay? You you pray to God and, and God takes that for you and, and, and removes genocide. So now that's the worst thing that can happen is genocide. Then the next worst thing that can happen is maybe could be murder, right? So one single person being murdered. How could a God allow murder to occur? Okay, let's take that out. That's the, that's the worst, absolute worst thing that could happen that we could, that human being could conceivably experience. Let's take away murder. What's after that? Oh, maybe it's uh, abuse, rape, something, uh, you know, uh, in regards to that. Okay, that's the worst. How could a God allow this? Okay, let's take that out. You could then you go to the next. What is the worst, absolute worst thing? Okay, maybe a person dies in a tragic car accident. How could a God, God allow this? Okay, let's take that out. You follow that line of logic up into the point where the worst thing that human beings could ever experience is a paper cut. 
How could a God, how could a merciful God allow me to experience this pain? This is the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. You know what I mean? You would then be, you would go down that line of logic then where a simple paper cut, you wouldn't want God to save you from uh, the uh, pain that experienced for having just a paper cut. You know, so what you're saying is that I don't want any test. I don't want any pain in life. What you're saying is that why don't we just give in Jannah right now without having to work for it? Why don't we just be giving paradise without having to? Uh, that's that's like <laughs> that's like the worst entitlement. You know, they, they talk about millennia, millennials being entitled. That's the worst entitlement uh, mentality uh, that one could have. You know, just to say, you know, why why don't why do I have to suffer anything? And if I may interject, um, um, yeah. if someone is given Jannah and they have the mindset of ingratitude and entitlement, they will never be thankful for God to God in Jannah. They would still never be thankful and not grateful to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for Jannah because they believe they're entitled to it regardless, just um, for, for the sake of it. And, and Allah somehow serves them. And therefore, it would be such an injustice because everything. Uh, justice to Allah's rights, because everything in this universe, everything that exists is to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so to have beings that will willfully uh, ignore, be ungrateful, uh, disregard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a state of perfect jannah and bliss is, is allowing a perpetual rebellion or disobedience. Whereas, um, and this is uh, related to an article, and I wrote an article about is held just on my website. And I posted that in Jahannam, the one thing that the that people who the, the, the those who reject God, the the, those, the ungrateful, the kind of kufar nimma, all this this uh, ingratitude and 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 disregard of God during the, that these people per, perpetuated and perpetrated during their life, in Jahannam they'll be beseeching Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. The only time they will be calling upon Him, they will be regretting, they will be apologizing for, they will be begging, is in Jahannam. And if they were to be, if they were to leave Jahannam, as the Quran mentions, they would go back to what they were doing beforehand. And so, um, Subhanallah, it's, it's it's a very kind of beautiful symmetry. I see that everyone in everyone will will call upon Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forever in eternity. Those who are grateful and those who are ingrateful, both will be in the the right place that they will perpetually be reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and will be perpetually calling on Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that basically is, um, you know, ju- you know the, the justice of Jahannam and, uh, and Jannah. And but in this place, this reality we live in is the sorting hat, so to, to use a uh, J.K. Rowling uh, t- um, concept. Um, because it's, as you pointed out, you know, quite um, you know, definitely, which is, uh, you know, why uh, if, if, if if all these things with these tests were removed, people would complain about the smallest thing. And then if you think about it, they would, they would say, well, well, what's the point of existence if we're just, you know, just made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he serves look, us? Look at, look at Bani Israel. They were complaining about getting food from Jannah. You know what I mean? Food from Jannah they were complaining about. You know, you can find, if you really want to complain, you want to be entitled. And, and you know, the first one I would say was like, the the entitled person to complain, the entitled one to complain was Shaitan. Okay, I, I made a fire. <laughs> He's made from clay. You know what I mean? That just that 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 level of entitlement. So uh, you will find something to complain about, no matter how harsh uh, 
uh, what what you're dealing with uh, is. But that's a different mindset when you don't complain. And uh, even people who on, on a secular level, you know, if you look at people who are professionals and people who achieve great things in their areas of industry and 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 whatnot, they say, oh, the, the mindset of complaining and whatnot is like that's the worst mindset that you can have. Uh, now think about it in terms of life. In terms of life, for us to be, uh, you know, we, we are fearing the wrong things. You know, we're fearing things. Uh, like death, we're fearing things like disease, we're feeling things like pain. Uh, those aren't necessarily the things that, again, it's you're misappropriating that fear. Fear the creator of everything, fear the one that can give you mercy, the one that can uh, give you punishment, the one that can give you reward, the one that can deliver you from anything that you are experiencing because everyone has their own test. You know, there are some people. Uh, you know, for them, they're going through a very traumatic physical test. Others, they're going through a very traumatic emotional, uh, you know, test with loss and 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 whatever they're experiencing. And some, it can be a combination. Everybody is going through their own test. And for us to feel that we're entitled, not I should be entitled not to go through this, or I feel that I am above this, or I am uh, better than 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 all of this. This is the first mistake that uh was 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 made by shaitan is to question uh the order of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's the first because and then it takes you down uh a, a very miserable path well to to continue the, the analogy of of the the tests um it, it's like essentially well, students are in an examination hall and they're doing their exams and each exam but each exam paper is tailor-made to each particular student to, that it it has the, the the all the questions that will be asked will only be those questions which it, it is does reside within the student's knowledge and capability, and then you have then you have and the point of this exam is that if people pass the exam they can get good jobs they can provide families they for their family they could um, have a, a future career and you know uh, kind of provide for themselves and help people and and so on and so forth. so. The, the, you have this, this circumstance and then would, it would be really ridiculous for a student to say, opening up his, his exam paper and saying like, oh, why are there questions? Why are, there, why are these questions challenging me? I really find it irritating. What's the point? What, you know, is this some kind of cruel thing that we're subjected to that I have to do this examination? Say no, it, what is cruel about it? The intent. Is that if you pass it and you're not given anything more, um, you know, burdensome than you can actually do, but you're, if you pass it, you actually have a great future ahead of you, an amazing future ahead of you. At the point is just to do the exam, to willfully prepare, study. It's within your capability. It's been tailor-made just for you, as the as the Quran says, no one will be burdened more than they can handle. So uh, to paraphrase, um, uh, and then to then complain, oh, but why, you know, why is there questions being asked during this exam? Well, it's an exam, right? That's yeah. the point of this split. This reality isn't Jannah or Jahannam. This reality is um, is the exam, and an exam, it, it, the purpose of it really is to facilitate free will. A test um, to be uh, is where we're given two choices or, or multiple choices. Some are bad, some are good. Some of the bad or a lot of the bad are quite easy and attractive and some of the good are a little bit difficult but achievable. And that's the point of this to, you know, we we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through our free will. But in order to have free will, we need to have tests and tests have to carry 
the, the, the complementary phenomena of pain and pleasure. They have to both accompany the test. So this everything that we live in is necessary for the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it's only by free will that uh, you know that we can we can choose to voluntarily worship Allah and only by tests do we have an opportunity to manifest um, free will. So people really it's just absurd for them to say, oh, why is there suffering? I say, well, this reality is a test because you've been given free will. You said you wanted it. You said you could hack it where, you know, from the based on the verse of the Quran, when all of um, the progeny of Adam salam, was was put out you know, before God and they were all asked about this test, this burden, and they accepted it. Whereas other parts of creation didn't want this kind of test, right? They didn't want yeah. it, right? SubhanAllah. So, you know, that's that, that's my, my point to that. But I think just to kind of jump subject uh, a little bit to um, something else you mentioned earlier on, which we didn't get to, to, to uh, discuss more. Um, you mentioned, I think it was quite amazing, you said that, you know, this uh, this pandemic has lifted the lid on on society and what's really happening. You know, those people who are poor, who have poor diet because they can't afford healthy organic food, they're going to suffer more from uh, from, you know, being hit by this disease. Um, it, pollution uh, levels have cleared up in many cities. You know, in China, you could, there was uh, this article about uh, satellite data showed that pollution levels have dropped dramatically. Uh, fish are returning to many rivers that uh, go run through cities um, and just air quality has improved uh, generally. And I think this is actually um, perhaps a lesson for us as human beings, you know, that we are despoiling the earth. And uh, why are we doing that? And right now, all that's being allowed to continue are necessary industries. Those industries are necessary to supply us with food and power and so on and so forth. And it shows us that a lot of the stuff that is actually not necessary is causing a lot of this pollution. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very in, in, amazing kind of revelation that we're seeing uh, being provided by this pandemic. It it's, it's really gives us food for thought. Yeah, no, I, that, you know, that's, uh, I feel that what's happening uh, is really peeling back this curtain. You know, like with, with a lot of the uh promises that modern society does or that a lot of the distraction that modern society promises humanity uh as if it's vital and it's essential that we need it uh we find out hey listen we can actually survive without a lot of this and perhaps this can help our community and globally humanity uh you know as as a whole you know what i mean so for example the whole idea of globalization is usually thought in material sense Right. So globalization is usually thought of in how can we uh, globalize uh, supply chains and things of that nature. So it all it, it's tied in with production and consumption, whereas we're seeing a different type of globalization occurring here. You know, this globalization of lack of consumption of, uh, you know, lack of, you know, you're looking at now. There are certain things that are suffering, like, you know, uh, luxury brand names and, uh, you know, a lot of. Uh, the car companies now they're giving trying to they can't even give away vehicles because people are so hesitant in in, in, in buying the, the, their next vehicle. So a lot of these other industries they've shrunken. Uh, the banks are now forced. I don't know about what's happening in UK. The banks have forced to almost give zero like it's like 025 percent interest rate here because they want to give money to people to support through this through this process. And banks aren't going to go out of business. They've been making like record profit every year, every year, every year. So it's peeling back like this whole facade that we really need to work 
so hard for so long, perhaps just to prop up a few to be on these very, very high pedestals. Whereas uh, humanity as a whole will, will progress and be in a much better state if we don't uh, get enslaved to that mentality. You know, uh, I, I truly believe that uh, like we're seeing those benefits like just in the neighborhood. Why don't we see so many of my neighbors walking around and I'm we're chatting with them and whatnot? You know, one of the reasons for that, Brother Abdullah, it's not necessarily because we wouldn't want to do that. It's because, man, people are exhausted. They're working so hard uh, just to get by to pay their rent uh, or their house payments or whatever. They come home, they barely have enough energy to give to their families. You know what I mean? Right now, we're seeing the effect of like having that time with your family to have those human connections, even though we have social distancing. Um, and, you know, subhanAllah, like this is the, this is what's actually quite, it was shocking was, as I said, many people who thought that, you know, they were told by their bosses that they must come into work, come to the office, because it has to be done in the office, uh, it can't be done at home. And now see how quickly a lot of people have adapted uh, to, to working at home. Although it's not necessarily the ideal case when obviously schools are shut uh, because then you know the, the kids are gonna be in the house and they can't go outside. And, and obviously that poses extra challenges. But subhanAllah, um, you know, this is the, the, the situation uh, in UK, just to give you an example. So we had a, an election uh, a couple of months ago uh, between uh, Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party, um, who is obviously he's a socialist and obviously the, the conservatives are very much um, neoliberal to some extent. Um, and what you saw uh, was that they were Jeremy Corbyn was maligned by a lot of the, the right wing by saying, look, he's going to you know, give all this money to the, to the people, it's gonna be, it's gonna bankrupt us, you need to support businesses, support entrepreneurs, don't have all these higher taxes and, and uh, you know, like uh, just, we don't have the money to support the people as these socialists uh, want to, to uh, do. Now, as I said, the socialist program has problems with it, uh, ideologically as well as in practice. However, when it comes to the, the monetary system and the, the, uh, the, the rate that the supply of resources we have in the modern world, our rate of production in the modern world, um, what we're seeing today is that now that the government is saying, well, actually, we're going to, you know, a conservative government give out basically a universal um, uh, kind of uh, universal support and welfare to, to everyone, whether you're, whether you're renters, whether you're actually landlords, uh, whether you're basically you're self-employed or you're just employed, um, they they came up with the money, and this very much reminded me of something which I saw. Um, it was in the last the last recession, I think 2008-2009, when Iceland um, had you know the, the bank suffered problems with uh, with obviously their finances because of the the collapse of the bubble in the stock markets and so on and so forth. Um, Iceland just let the banks fail and actually bailed out the people of their debt. Uh, because what people don't realize is that a lot of the money that is lent out to people is literally created from nothing by the banks. Uh, as long as the banks write down a minus, like if they're going to lend you $100, they'll give you $100. And as long as they write down on their ledger minus $100, uh, a debt owed, they actually haven't really, uh, they haven't, they would argue they haven't basically added, added extra money they made a balanced book you know so they, they yeah. did money but came from it's nothing. not money that they have it's not physical 
wealth that they have in their stores that, okay, I'm giving you, I think there's a certain ratio that they have to meet, but beyond that. About 12 or 13 to one. So they, they can lend out money 12 or 13 times, fractional reserve banking it's called, uh, to 12 to 13 times more than they actually have actual uh, actual money. And of course, the, the, the central bank uh, in England, uh, the Bank of England, which for a long period of time was a private bank. And of course, the National Reserve Bank, a Federal Reserve Bank in the United States of America, which is a private corporation, <laughs> yeah. even though it calls itself federal, of course, um, is uh, just uh, they can print money. Not only do they print money, but they they charge for the service of printing money. And they also lend that money out to banks and get interest back on it. So they make money from nothing. And then they charge you interest from giving you money that they've printed out on their printers. And there's not there's really not enough money in the world to pay off all the debt that uh, that that exists, because really a lot of this debt uh, doesn't exist. But before I kind of get um, uh, I digress on that, I, I, on a on a slightly lighter note uh, to, to this um, rel relatively uh, kind of uh, morbid conversation on pandemics um, uh, that I believe uh, in Louisiana, the, uh, the I don't know what it was, some local county government, or I don't know if it was the governor of Louisiana, but in the, the capital of Louisiana in, in the United States, uh, Baton Rouge, they decided that they would implement curfew times. And they, they, they chose a siren, they believed that would, according to their words, uh, lead to less mayhem and havoc and make, you know, be conducive to an orderly and uh, safe and peaceful kind of curfew and time initiation and so on and so forth. And they chose the siren from the film Purge. You know, the <laughs> film, <laughs> I, 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 I do not, I'm not lying, sir. This is, you can see it. Only, what's that expression? Only in America or the United States of America that you could, and they actually explained it. Some police chief said he, yeah, they picked uh, a, a siren. It was a military, they said it's a pre-existing military siren. But they picked a siren that would, that would guarantee that it would create it would be would cause less mayhem and subhanallah and people that's would, one way to kill the virus I guess right uh, yeah killing each other I suppose some people on Twitter joked um, yeah. you know I've got my list of people to kill ready <laughs> and uh, during this 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 purge subhanallah however yeah. and I I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist but. Yeah. I did note that uh, I haven't checked the recent figures, but uh, Baton Rouge has a very uh, large uh, population of African-Americans. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why the government or the local government of Louisiana decided that for, it, for its people and in Baton Rouge, it would be the best approach is to put the purge siren on. A film which was actually, um, people have many social commentators have, have noted, as actually a commentation uh, comments on how people of lower classes and including ethnic minorities are actually targeted um, by you know uh, they will suffer higher rates of of, of mortality due to uh, police action due to diet due to you know um, the effects of not being able to access healthcare and the purge was almost like a kind of a metaphor for what happens in society generally so subhanallah I I, I can't I could not believe. When I heard they used the purge siren in the United States of America, please tell me they haven't used yeah. that in Edmonton. <laughs> no, 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 they, they they have not used that in Canada, uh, from from what I understand. Uh, but African American population is being disproportionately affected, uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, like again, there's there's avenues for the worst of society to come out. 
Uh, I don't know if in UK uh, Islamophobia has, uh, you know, um, been the same or it's contracted. But for example, in India, some of the fake news that's coming out of India, they're saying that uh, that, that was circulating and it's all been disproven. Uh, they said a Muslim vendor was uh, sp uh, spitting on fruits and spreading the coronavirus. Uh, another uh, fake news was that uh, they said that uh, Muslims were uh, a Muslim was uh, licking utensils uh, to try to spread the coronavirus. Uh, that uh, they're they're doing coordinated sneezing. Okay, this is how ridiculous the fake news is. Is that Muslims are doing uh, unison sneezing to spread the coronavirus? Uh, what, in, that, in, in a in a taslim type fashion, what when they're doing their taslim? <laughs> so, I mean, is that what yeah, they're trying to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine I, they're just sneezing to. to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, they, they're they saying that Hindus were denied rations in Karachi. Um, they're, um, uh, that a Muslim man was spitting at cops to uh, to avoid um, being quarantined. Um, like a Muslim cop, they said, beat Hindu priests. Uh, that uh, re Muslim restaurant workers were spitting in food to, uh, to spread the virus. That... Um, that COVID-19 uh, Muslims uh, nationals from Iran uh, and Italy were hiding in India. It's like, like there's a whole list of all these fake news that are coming out of India. I don't know if it's just India that's trying to capitalize, like certain Hindu groups that are trying to capitalize on that. But I don't know if you see any of this uh, occurring in the UK. I saw some very disappointing articles in The Economist. It seems like the, there's some agenda now with The Economist trying to release a whole bunch of Islamophobic articles right now but i don't know are, are you seeing this in uh, uk at all well um i mean what's what was noticeable in the uk um was that basically you're getting uh, the the first the first four doctors to pass away from covid19 um were muslim in the uk the first four doctors to pass away four first four doctors and the first uh uh, I think one of the first nurses, or maybe possibly two nurses, were also Muslim. Mm. And you, uh, it was when it was when uh, a fifth doctor passed away, which was not Muslim, and it was when uh, a nurse passed away, maybe the third nurse that passed away. I have to double check that, but wasn't Muslim. That you saw the articles talk coming out like hero doctor, hero this, and then maybe in the in the article, you know, kind of buried, it said, oh, and here's some here's the names of the previous people who passed away. Uh, and that was in a lot of the right wing kind of uh, media outlets. So even Muslims, you know, dying to protect the people of their respective countries that they reside in, even then they're not being recognized. It's like as a Muslim, you can only be recognized um, as doing what you're doing for Islam and actually you're to be uh, really uh, uh, to, to be given the, the attention um, to be given any kind of attention, if only if, if you're in basically doing a crime of some kind. Yeah. But if you're doing something that is good, that is laudable, uh, you you get briefest of mentions for the most part. I'm not saying that's always the case. You know, there were some some left wing out uh, media outlets were, were were mentioning these people, and they they did get to the the, the appropriate you know uh, fetid. They were fetid for what they did, and they were you know thanked for what they did. But it was just interesting to see that when it fits the right wing narrative. Um, you'll see basically Muslims front page 
And then when it doesn't fit the right wing narrative, it's almost like they had to wait for a non-Muslim doctor or health worker to pass away. Oh, oh now we'll have the articles front page. Yeah. I saw this front page articles after um, after the uh, third nurse passed away, the third nurse passed away, who was basically not Muslim. I believe she was English. I, I have to double I'll double check uh, what her background was. And Sapana, and we noticed this, right? Uh, you know, as Muslims, we, we noticed this and, and it's, it's, his, uh, it, it's very difficult um, to kind of, to, to see that because these people had families, these you know, and at yeah. the very least, at the very least, you know, uh, you know, these are Muslims who are acting on on a really good adab. They were they gave their lives to to defend people. This is you know this is shuhada, right? These are martyrs, and then they're just basically not getting that that recognition. And it tells Muslims that basically we we are always just going to be demonized. We're only going to be represented as Muslims only if one of us commits a crime, which. Uh, you know, ironically, goes against Islam in the first place, and that's really, that's kind of sad to 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 see. It's, it's it's demoralizing and demotivating for many Muslims who thought that you know maybe things could change with this. Maybe this pandemic could bring better understanding between people. Are are there Muslim doctors treating Boris Johnson? You think? I I don't know. It would be funny if it if it was the case. Um, there was the pressure uh, would be on, right? Like the pressure. <laughs> it's like, I have to save this guy's life, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or else the right-wing media is going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll say that, you know, they, they'll blame uh, they'll blame Muslims. Um, it was actually quite yeah. funny. There was, um, this is actually true. So the UK, um, uh, in terms of a, a news report, so the, the UK Home Office, I think it's the, the State Department in the US, I forgot what the equivalent is in Canada. Um, they basically uh, announced they're all going to pause deporting um, any any uh, immigrants who had who their papers and expiry they had run out on their visas um, if they had basically health experience you know health working experience and nurses doctors and so on and someone put on Twitter on Twitter on Twitter they put on a tweet uh, this this article and they, they wrote in rather colorful language um, you know uh, get out of our country uh, after you've treated us for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. us and saved our lives yeah um, yeah a bit more colourful than I've just explained, um, but uh, subhanAllah, and um, it also makes the point that also um, in um, in England as well, there was actually a, sh a shortage, there was there was worries there'd be shortages of fruit and vegetables because a lot of the people who pick the fruit and vegetables in England, they're actually uh, Polish migrants. Mm -hmm. And because a lot of them have gone back to Poland, uh, as well as, you know, rising anti-migrant rhetoric, um, you, you're just not going to find a lot of uh, people in the UK who are not migrants uh, willing to fulfill those jobs. Otherwise, they would have been fulfilled indigenously. I could only assume, right? And that's that's the irony. As well as in Spain, as well, there was it noted that um, there was also going to be supply problems because there was meant to be sixteen thousand Moroccan Moroccans uh, going on a, on a temporary work visa to 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 work the fields to you know to pick fruit and what have you. But only We're having the same uh, same stuff. issues here in Canada. They're, they're, they're talking about that because with the harvest season uh, and, and whatnot, uh, this is, we're going to be experiencing a very similar issue. SubhanAllah. And, and that, that's, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, we, uh, we, uh, oh, everyone hates migrants. We hate migrants. They're, they're a problem. Oh, but now we need, but we, we need them when, you know, to do the jobs that we, you know, most people don't want to do. And that's the, the double standards. It's, it's shown the, the hypocrisy. A lot of hypocrisy has been demonstrated by this. But, and, and going back to what you mentioned about India, um, you know, India, uh, I've mentioned, I think, throughout 
uh, my my seven years I've been going to to Canada, and uh, I've mentioned a few times in many of my lectures there, but also uh, in other lectures uh, for, for when I do debates with secularists, I always mention that one of the biggest problems in the world today is the nation state model of of government, because you have a country which represents. So they meant to say that after the time of kingdoms, where you have like a regime controlled by a ruling family. And everyone was just a subject of the regime. It doesn't matter if they were what ethnic group they were, what language they spoke, what religion they spoke. They were all subjects of one uh, royal dynasty or what have you. Of course, you had Roman Rome, you had Egypt, uh, you had uh, Egypt, you had obviously the Greeks and also Islamic caliphates, right? Being these were ways that you had multi-ethnic, multicultural states. But in a nation-state model, the theory is that the state represents the nation. Now the question is. Uh, whose nation, which nation, because a nation is defined as an, a, uh, could be defined as an ethno-linguistic uh, group or a cultural linguistic group. And in India, despite the fact that the people uh, in India, okay, in India, obviously there's many actually ethnic groups and many uh, types of dialects and languages. Uh, so it's not all speaking the same language as, as some, yeah. of the, some of the knuckle-draggers from the far right in, <laughs> in the West mm -hmm. would imagine. Um, but uh, there are there's you know there's there's Muslims and there's there's uh, a conglomerate of of religions called all kind of labeled Hinduism after the British um, you know came there and just called it, we're going to call these Hindus now and the idea of now India has to now represent a particular you know na nationality okay so which culture which ancestry which history uh, does it represent what defines the spirit of the nation. And what happens is that it forces, if you have a country that has multiple ethnic groups or, or linguistic groups or cultural groups or religious groups, the question now becomes, well, who will, who will it represent? You know, who will determine mm. uh, this, this culture? And you'll get this kind of fight. And so what you're, you're, you're getting is that the, the dominant faction usually will start oppressing the minority. They'll accuse them of not being patriotic enough or following a foreigner religion or a foreigner culture or, or anything that's not um, uh, deemed to be indigenous, quote unquote, and you mm. see on a lesser scale, a much lesser scale in Canada between French speakers and English speakers. Um, they, I was on a plane once actually uh, in Canada going from one event, being shuttled from one event to the other uh, during the Islam Awareness uh, uh, Week, and I was sitting alongside some uh, some uh, European Canadian guy, and uh, so I just spoke, just you know, we stopped talking. And he was telling me that, um, you know, eventually he opened up to me for some reason and he said he supports Trump, you know, uh, Donald Trump. Mm. He can't talk about it because his girlfriend hates Trump. And 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 he actually felt he very comfortable with me to, to talk to me and open up to me yeah. because I, yeah. just, I just want to listen. Right? I'm not going yeah. to actually learn about why people think the way they do. Yeah. And he said to me this, he said, even him, a right wing Trump supporter, he told me that in Canada, um, the uh, the English speakers, uh, English speaking Canadians, and uh, or the European Canadians, and the, the the English speaking ones and the French speaking ones, they hate each other more than they hate migrants, <laughs> right? Yeah. Migrant will be hated less than they would hate each other, and I was quite shocked by that. Like, wow, that's uh, that's uh, that that that's uh, kind of shocking, and that's in that's in a place like Canada where there's plenty of space to be. To speak whatever language in your local region or what have you, but in India, it's not language because uh, so, there's many yeah. languages. It's it's basically um, culture and religion 
uh, and the idea that Hinduism represents the true indigenous culture of the people and Islam is a foreign culture and so Muslims are being targeted. And whenever you have um, you know, problems like pandemics or even economic problems, um, like you saw during uh, you know, fascist Europe during the time of um, 19, uh, 1890s to um, 1940s, actually a lot of countries turned fascist, not just Germany, um, it was blamed on Jews. And in India, mm-hmm. you know, economic problems, uh, there's now pandemic, even though the pandemic didn't, wasn't started by Muslims, although I'm personally surprised that there's no right wing media outlet out there that's saying that <laughs> Muslim, Muslim Chinese people started it. I'm surprised yeah. there hasn't been an article. There might, even already, there might yeah. already be an article. Yeah. Um, but they, they need to connect it to this minority that they hate, that they fear, that they want to control, they view. They have to connect it to, to get that, to perpetuate that, that hatred, the momentum of the hatred going to it reaches a yeah. critical mass in our society. And you saw that with what happened with, with um, how Europeans, not just Germans, but how many Europeans approached uh, Jews. And you're now seeing it in India, even though Muslims in India are ethnically the same uh, in their different regions as their fellow you know, uh, uh, neighbors. Uh, they speak the same language. Uh, for the most part, their culture is very, is, is very similar, uh, you know, apart from obviously the religious differences. Um, but they're still being treated as outsiders, as usurpers, even though their ancestors are indigenous. They're indigenous yeah. population. They're they're using terms and hashtags like uh, viral jihad. You know what I mean? Like they're they're trying to equate that with the uh, jihad that uh, they're getting together. There was a um, prior to uh, this pandemic really taking a foot in India. There was a um, Tablighi Jamaat gathering that occurred, and they made the Jamaat as like, oh, this is where. The virus was spread from like they got to and, and you know the the Jamaat in India Pakistan they're getting together all the time you know what I mean it's not anything new or nefarious intention but they utilize this even though this happened well before the first cases were documented I believe in one of the Jamaat maybe they had a few people from that Jamaat just like everyone in India is being affected that were uh, tested uh, for COVID nineteen. But uh, they're trying to capitalize on that for sure. And and what's, again, another sad part of it, are, are there going to be, uh, because of the disproportionate uh, nature of resources, um, are there going to be uh, poor Muslim countries that are going to be affected greatly, like Yemen? Are there going to be uh, the situation that's, right, for example, in China right now, uh, are they going to just let this virus go rampant? on the Muslim Chinese population without any resources or support. So that's also another thing I think um, that uh, uh, as Muslims we should think about uh, as a dimension to this. And talking about this, I want you to tell me what your thoughts are. Can something like this um, be a catalyst maybe to bring the Ummah together? Because we're seeing uh, the failure of nation states? Can this be something that says, hey, listen, uh, being brought together on a set of principles, of virtuous principles, is far greater than try to align yourself on some of the tools of nationalism. Uh, what, are, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Well, subhanAllah, you know, uh, it, it depends because a lot of people now, as you pointed out earlier on, they seem to now depend on their government more. They're looking to the government to solve all their problems. 
And people wonder why the government becomes so powerful, but it's mainly because you people have given them that power. You you ask them to solve your problems, all your problems. So the government needs more powers to, to do that. And you happily, you know, the people happily give their power, the, these powers or, or, and their rights away uh, to do that. Now, I know that I have to kind of um, caveat that with um, in exceptional circumstances, of course, you know, in Islam, we have a concept of, of sasa or siyasa, um, which is usually the, the ruler gets involved in the people's affairs in exceptional circumstances. So usually, you know, the the, the hukum shari and the, the law system, the mahkamah, the, the courts will deal with the usual complaints, disputes and problems and issues. But whenever uh, a matter can't be resolved by the court, the judges used to always, uh, you know, appeal to the caliph to do sasa or the local governor, the local wali of the, the caliph to do sasa to resolve the matter uh, using um, you know exceptional circumstances, uh, so, uh, kind of facilities that are to be used in exceptional circumstances. So now I understand the need for um, certain temporary measures, uh, which might be a bit more stricter because you know people are still breaking uh, curfews or they're they're still going out and they're spreading disease and they are you know it's not just they infecting themselves but they're infecting people who will, might actually infect um, vulnerable people. You know, and there's those kind of consequences. So now, how do we balance those those things together? Um, I, I think what we need to look at is to ensure that whatever measures are brought in are are very temporary and subject to a lot of scrutiny and review and completely revocable. Whereas, and be wary of those governments which are going to say, "Look, you need us to do all this. We need extra powers. Give us these powers permanently." And oh, don't worry, we'll use them when. You know when they need it, so you just trust mm. us with it. No, no, do not. Uh, you, you know what's interesting? I was I had a lawyer on uh, a few weeks ago, and he said that you know income tax. So the Canadian income tax was uh, after the First World War, so it was uh, it was supposed to be just a temporary measure after the First World War, and then lo and behold, we still have it today. <laughs> so income tax was just supposed to be a temporary thing. A war measures, you know, part of that war measures act, and uh, it just ended up sticking around. Once they got a taste of that money, uh, it never stopped. I mean, um, I mean, like you know, taxes have been around uh, for you know since since um, you know the, the first ancient human civilizations, from what I'm aware of. But um, certainly, the you know, I, these ideas of these these these, these um, additional taxes, uh, we have an UK value added tax on sales called VAT. Um, you know, a lot of these, um, uh, what they call duties that are imposed, uh, you know, were slowly being added, uh, you know, onto the burden of, of the citizens' duties towards the state over over history, as the state got larger and larger and larger. Um, an issue that many libertarians obviously protest uh, and uh, and so on. But that being said, um, as to whether uh, unity of the Muslim Ummah, uh, this would encourage unity. I think first and foremost. Uh, this will be a shock to the system that many Muslims think that, you know, oh, it, it's it's sad that, uh, you know, uh, Yemen, there's poverty, Yemen, there's war, you know, that's very sad and we'll make dua for them. And then but in the meantime, they go back to, you know, doing selfies of their coffee mugs or coffee <laughs> on on, yeah. the, on yeah. the Instagram or what have you. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, this actually brings to the fore in our minds that this, you know, death can go into any of our doors at any point in time, you know, travails and tribulations 
can reach us anywhere in this world that Allah desires it to reach us. And the fact that I believe that the, the, you're going to witness maybe um, a complete failure of protecting the people in many of the countries in the Muslim world who don't have the same industry, who don't, who never really thought about building that kind of industry there. Healthcare systems are really subpar, substandard due to corruption, uh, due to uh, natural, the natural uh, wealth of the population being squandered on a, on a minority. Uh, you, you're going to see that this is the satisfaction depending on how much it spreads in the Muslim community and how and how you know disastrous it might be. And I, I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that that's not the case, that you know the, the, the Muslim communities throughout the world, uh, the Muslim country, Muslim majority countries, experience the lightest of touches. I, I also make dua for anyone else, uh, for all, all the people around the world, um, not just the Muslims, but also who haven't mm. um, experienced it yet, to also just get the lightest of touches of this pandemic. But that being said, um, you know, my du'a notwithstanding, my supplication notwithstanding, if it does happen that the case, um, then you're going to see uh, perhaps some realization that the Muslim Ummah is act needs to be it needs to get its act together, and it's not getting its act together because it's not being driven by a a, a worldview, a unified worldview and purpose that would organize this this kind of stuff. In in our history, the Muslim world has dealt with plagues and pandemics. Um, you know, the the uh, the formation of Formulation of the of the Bimaristan concept, the idea of uh, in Persian that means the, the house of sickness or sick for, for sick people, um, hospitals basically with separate wards, so you you don't actually have this contamination of different patients uh, in, in in all put into the same ward, uh, which was a bit of a a a hasan a, a, a bit of hasana, so they say a, a, yeah. a positive innovation. Um, this stuff was done because. The, in the Muslim world, you know, the obligation, uh, uh, so the Muslim world united and driven by Islam, they saw the obligation to basically that the, the, the ruler would be asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how he looked after the people according to the deen. The people expected their ruler to fulfill the obligations and duties that the deen prescribed upon him, upon upon them. And so Muslim Muslims developed waqaf institutions for, for treatments, for um, uh, what's they called, uh, inbuilt pharmacies which are actually for uh, not only treating inpatients, but outpatients too in hospitals. These things Muslims developed. To, uh, and of course, the plague, uh, the, the bubonic plague obviously did impact the Muslim world, but uh, arguably in many areas, not as much as, uh, as Europe at the time where 60% potentially of the European population were being wiped out, despite the fact that it's actually, um, it's not so hot in uh, in Europe and it was carried by fleas and, rat and rats. And you'd expect that in hot countries, perhaps um, you know vermin uh, would 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 be more would be more conducive to this to replication of vermin and then you know uh, taking out fleas. And I certainly know that I, I encountered more fleas in um, in like places like Spain and Portugal in, in hotter countries than I would in North Europe, right? Uh, just yeah. just my anecdotal experience, of course, uh, you know. And of course, um, and here's one obvious thing though. This is a bit of a tongue in cheek, but it's actually uh, true. Uh, in a in a caliphate, you'd get rid of one of the major sources of infection, uh, which is pigs. <laughs> Basically, right? uh, pigs the the uh, pigs are are petri dishes, not just for um, you know viruses and and or pathogens, but they are ideal candidates for recombination of different viral strains to create create chimerical strains, strains which have a mixture. Of different um, from from avian uh, avian background bat backgrounds a whole number of different backgrounds, and that that can have a higher risk of infecting um, human beings, and so if you didn't have 
pigs to the to the large quantity that you do. Um, it's not if, if they're removed as part of a staple diet uh, from the population. There's there's that, but also um, you know you'd have uh, you'd also have the Islamic duty to care and be considerate for animals, and you wouldn't have the kind of industrial, very callous capitalist mass um, uh, farming uh, and mass animal husbandry practices that you do. Uh, what you see in, in the West, where they just focus on increasing demand, uh, supply as much as possible, and they cram uh, birds into these, you know, into these these uh, these, these warehouses, and they and, and cows and, and and cattle, including pigs, of course, and um, they don't focus on on them being healthy or, or being free from disease. And, and they expect it. So what they do is they mass inject antibiotics and other antiviral treatments into all the animals. Because they expect that they're all going to get sick, uh, or they're going to they're going to spread it. They live in disgusting conditions. You know, they've got they they walk in their own feces. That's not there's no measure to clear it out. And so what you get is not only a perfect place for the spread of contagion, but also to develop resistance against antibiotics and, and certain antivirals. Because the bugs that basically make out of this these petri dishes are the ones which are resistant. And you've 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 uh, exacerbated that. You've accelerated that that. Uh, acquisitional resistance by you know kind of just blanket uh, 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 medicating all the animals whether they're sick or not just giving them antibacterials um, antivirals and so on and so forth and so subhanallah so maybe the price of meat and chicken in, in an Islamic uh, system Islamic uh, you know ruling system would be a bit more expensive but you'd, you'd be healthier and besides I mean as you know because I know you have a lot of um, medical knowledge um, you know, eating red meat a lot isn't actually one of the best things for for, for the health. I mean, it's it's good, you know, a bit of a bit of lachma, a bit of you know, for our kebabs and <laughs> and meat yes. pakore. But um, ideally, it's actually should be having ha had a bit more sparsely and mixed with you know with with greens and fruits and vegetables and of course white meat, uh, as they say, chicken, uh, poultry is, is 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 good. But you can have you know free range, and it might be a bit more expensive, but. Uh, and therefore, not as as often, but our ancestors lived like this. The Prophet Muhammad mm -hmm. didn't just have you know meat every day because uh, it was expensive, uh, and people lived healthier lives as a result. You, you, you know what? I I feel that um, you know, alhamdulillah, I've been blessed with the opportunity to travel many different parts of the world, and um, I feel that the blessing in our food has diminished. Uh, even though the quantity perhaps has increased, but uh, you know the quality. There is something to be said about uh, not being driven. The normalization of overeating, or the normalization of, for example, all-you-can-eat buffets, the normalization of you know stuffing yourself or having to snack all the time, or to have this high caloric intake. I don't necessarily think that prices of meat would be very much higher or higher at all it's just this push like when you're in a in an environment when it's pushing you to consume more because the uh the existence it's an exist it's an existential threat if it's not constantly increasing its rate of consumption and production you know what i mean it can't stay the same it has to always increase it's based on an increase uh you know i remember uh, I was on a road trip in Texas once, and we were uh, going between, uh, I think we were driving from uh, maybe Houston to San Antonio, and it was it was maybe uh, like 
10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. And so we stopped by uh, this uh, fast food place just to use their washroom. But I was amazed. Like, it was a shock to me to see that people uh, at this fast food restaurant were having these huge, huge meals. And it's very different, by the way. If you've ever been to the U.S., their portion sizes are like triple the portion sizes in Europe. Like you'll see like their large will be like, you guys don't even have a size that's equivalent to their large or even their medium sometimes. And I saw people wearing clothes that I didn't uh, know that the sizes of these clothes exist. Like they were so massive, like the, the size of the clothes and the, and of course the size of the people. I never knew that like, like it, it just completely changed my uh, worldview in terms of like, this is uh, what people can, uh, the level of what people can consume, you know? And so, you know, I think what's important to be mentioned at this point, uh, because when we're talking about Ummah unity and where we, we talk about the, uh, what we believe are solutions, uh, not only for Muslim community, but society as large, that come from the teachings of Islam, it comes from a place of love, you know, because it oftentimes get, gets mischaracterized by, you know, the haters and whatnot to say, hey, look at these people. They hate everything about our life. Why do they, why do they stay here and just get, get out of here? Your societies are failing. You know what I mean? It's like you get that sometimes knee-jerk reaction by a lot of the haters when we talk about the virtues of uh, Islamic principles or we talk about the ummah coming together of course we want the ummah to come together. We don't want conflict. We don't want loss of human life. We don't want to see any more tragedy and exploitation of our communities. Of course we want our, our the because we want justice to prevail. We want harmony uh, to, to, to prevail. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, some of uh, the, 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 uh, the value system that we have, whether we talk about, uh, as you mentioned, pigs, or if we look at the hadith of Rasul where he says that uh, it's forbidden to eat any fang creature. So obviously that's going to include bats. That's going to include the, you know, bats many carnivores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So it's not, it, it, it's coming from a place that we believe that in this life and in the next life, this is the best prescription for us. This is the best prescription for us. And it's not out of, out of a place of, you know, because people will think, oh, you know, they're just trying to impose or, you know, they're they're casting aside our traditions, our culture and, and, and whatnot. Uh, even though we've been on the recipient of obviously colonization. So, uh, you know, you can never uh, in recent uh, history, you can't uh, make this argument uh, against the Muslim community. But, you know, you look at our history, like Salah al-Din Ayyubi, for example. Uh, for human welfare, for the welfare of his even his enemy, he sent his doctor uh, to look after uh, and look at the condition of uh, Richard the Lionheart. You know, like we have this, uh, we truly believe that our value system is there not just to be, um, we, we're we selfish and it's only supposed to be restricted, uh, the, the, the principles and the benefits uh, that we have just to our own community, but we want to see it, uh, you know, worldwide. We want people, everyone to benefit uh, from it, you know, and uh, I think that's where people need to appreciate it, both because I see Muslims as well. On the same token, Muslims are are, are, are so sensitive and their self-esteem has been diminished so much, like it's been given su such a blow that they feel that, oh, at, even at times like this, we shouldn't talk about 
you know, uh, how Islam can make the situation better because they might be insensitive. No, this is coming from a place of love. We truly believe that, for example, when we talk about the ummah coming together, we believe it'll be justice for our own community and justice to deal with non-Muslim communities. We believe that. When we believe about our value system, whether it's about how to treat animals, uh, about dietary uh, you know, uh, recommendations, or what is halal and haram, uh, we believe that that's not only beneficial uh, for our own community, but it's beneficial for humanity. I think that's something that people need to really appreciate because it always gets mischaracterized or it's looked at you know, these corrupt lenses of suspicion. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, this is the uh, this is the thing is it's that um, I think the Muslim Ummah is we, we lack purpose uh, and we have purpose, uh, which is obviously, but we but we lack awareness of it and we lack the ability, not the ability, sorry, we, we, we've forgotten um, how this purpose relates to our life and how we can organize our life as affairs. And so when we talk about, for example, you know, corrupt government, it's not because it, it's just, you know, a roll of the dice, bad luck, we've got a bad leader, right? It's that, I always ask this question, like for example, let's say I take the country Egypt, or I take the country Saudi Arabia, or uh, I take the country um, Syria, and ask what, or Turkey, what is the purpose of these countries? What is the purpose of Egypt? What is the purpose of Saudi Arabia, of uh, UAE? Um, what are their purpose? And people say, well, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, I say, well, because in Islam, the purpose of the um, the political successorship to the Prophet Muhammad sallam, successorship meaning is the word um, from the Arabic word for, for the translation khilafa, is is to is to uh, is to worship God and establish uh, God's justice and uh, uh, order and and uh, help people by His mercy. Um, with that purpose, with that worldview, with that intention, it's got a it's got a world mission. Right, it's got a project, a world project. But the Muslim community, the Muslim countries, we lack that world vision, that project. What you know, so we can establish justice, mercy, build um, healthcare systems, build scientific research. We should be on the cutting edge of scientific research. Uh, okay, the, in a few cases, for example, in um, uh, uh, stem cell research, uh, the you know the, uh, the the Iran actually has uh, is actually kind of up there somewhere. Quite funny enough. Uh, whereas in America, due to complaints by of, of using you know uh, embryo kind of stem cells from embryos, there, it has actually more restrictions on stem cell research uh, in the uh, United States of America. Ironically speaking, um, uh, but you know uh, like like Turkey for example is, is, is a good example. So they just thought okay, let, experimentally let's just use this you know hydroxychloroquine um, to uh, on on patients who do not manifest severe symptoms of COVID nineteen as in uh, they haven't reached pneumonia stages just yet or severe pneumonia stages. Uh, let's see what happens. And they've noted that there actually is um, positive outcomes. Now, this needs to be peer reviewed. It needs to be obviously more rigorous testing and so on. But what I do see from this, whether it's just a placebo or not, right, who knows? Mm -hmm. But what I do see from this is an uh, ard ardent desire by um, the government in Turkey to do whatever it can to uh, make available these medicines at its own cost, at cost to itself. To help the people as best as possible, right? Uh, you know, even though it's going to cost them money to use, um, you know, anti-malarial drugs that they have stockpiled, or you know, um, and, and that hydroxychloroquine uh, being one of them, one example of that.
And that's what we need. We need, um, you know, Muslim governments, uh, which uh, they have a purpose behind. And I'm not saying that Turkey is an Islamic government. I'm just saying that Turkey demonstrates that it's possible to have uh, at least on some level, I'm not saying the Turkish government is perfect uh, and at all or Islamic. I'm merely pointing out that you see these glimmers of possibility, these small glimmers of possibility within the Muslim world, um, it, things that can be achieved uh, when we have purpose, when we are we are we are, we are driven to, to to actually say, you know what, instead of just reacting to events as they come, let's plan ahead. Let's think, hey, maybe we actually need to have um, a, a, a self-sufficient industrial base. Instead of just sending our oil, natural resources to the West and then buying, uh, uh, well, at, at cheap price, by the way, and then buying um, expensive technology that they produce, and then making that the main source of our acquisition of of uh, industrial products, how about we build the industry ourselves? Um, you know, one thing that I believe uh, Lenin and Stalin, even though they were, you know, very na uh, nasty individuals, Stalin was very much so. But one of one of this 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 trait of self independence, right? They said that we're not going to import tractors from Europe until we can make it ourselves, and thereby therefore not needing to make tractors. Um, this desire to uh, to kind of have a motivated by a purpose, we we lack that, and therefore the purpose of our governments is really just to exist. And of course, if it's just to exist, they're going to look at the situation as well. How do we manage the economy in a way that benefits? our regime and strengthens it by propping up those people who are our supporters in the army and in, you know, in, in, in government and ju judges and blah, blah. They'll just focus on paying themselves and their supporters because for them, stability is the only concern, right? And, you, you, and whenever Muslims discuss politics in the Middle East, predominantly, the main discussion is stability, stability, stability. But what they're really saying is we want everything to be exactly the same as it is and not change. Whereas in our, our, our past, it wasn't stability that they were looking at. It was looking at as how do we achieve the objective, objective that the creator of the universe mandated on us to achieve as a collective civilization. And so uh, people might say, well, how would the coronavirus, uh, how would the, a, a united ummah under a caliphate, a, a renewed or restored caliphate, um, how would that, its response to coronavirus be any different? from you know individual countries or what have you i say well there's, there's a number of ways um first and foremost it would be that you'd have uh you know uh, travel travel bans from outside maybe more sooner quicker quick reaction uh, a united infrastructure between all the muslim countries to ensure that you know there are the, the the weaker countries are supported by the stronger countries as well as uh you know sharing of resources such that we actually become self-sufficient with all our countries trading amongst ourselves we actually don't need to get resources from outside. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, of course, you'd have a welfare system that was already functioning, a healthcare system that was already functioning that could uh, be put straight into action and not limited by um, certain capitalist concerns uh, like the private healthcare system you have in the United States of America. And yes, you do have um, types of healthcare insurance, but compared to public healthcare systems that you get in Canada, United States, Scandinavia, and so and Germany, uh, as being very prominent ones, um, they had because they were uh, they were treating large numbers of people beforehand who didn't have to worry about paying for their healthcare. They have the capacity, right? They had the the a bigger capacity to react. Whereas 
in United States of America when you know they weren't treating large numbers of people because either their healthcare insurance is denied, their applications are denied, uh, so their claims are denied, um, or they can't afford healthcare insurance, or their healthcare insurance requires uh, has um, requires extra contributions and has limitations upon it. They don't get as much influx as people. It's too expensive to go into hospital, basically. And so you're, you know, they're 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 not as well prepared, arguably speaking, compared to 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 Europe and places that have social health care system. And this also parallels the, the Muslim countries that yes, there is social health care, but again, because it wasn't viewed as a priority, it's not viewed as important, because taking care of the affairs of the people is something which is secondary to stability in in the Muslim world. Um, you, I mean, I, I pray this doesn't happen, but I suspect that you might see um, very horrendous amounts of, of um, tribulation occur because of a, a, well, a woefully ill-prepared uh, healthcare system in the Muslim world. I do hope that's not the case. I hope something mm. happens that stops this, or maybe it gets really hot and that delays uh, the virus um, uh, the virus basically uh, 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 surviving on external surfaces. Uh, you know, that it won't stop transmission from person to person, but it will uh, maybe just, uh, render its lifespan, quote unquote, in, in as aerosol form in a hot human environment to be much more limited in, than if it was not a hot human environment or on surfaces, because uh, the virus is, in, is in, unstable and it will obviously break away. It needs a host to survive. Um, so th- there, there are these kind of reactions. Um, also, all the laboratories of a United Caliphate state, which would already be developed, would be put onto mass testing and being able to produce a drug. Because when the vaccine, inshallah, becomes available, or if a treatment becomes available, if they they've discovered that some type of um, uh, anti-HIV, you know, uh, drug works, or this, you know, hydroxychloroquine works, you need to have the ability to actually manufacture it. And with underdeveloped manufacturing capabilities, the Muslim, well, even if they discovered it, a vaccine tomorrow, it would take many months before um, even people in the West get it, let alone people in the Muslim world get, get that vaccine. So a, a, a caliphate, it's not so much that being in a caliphate makes you immune to disease just by being yeah. in a, a united caliphate. It's, the, it's, the, it's what being in a caliphate represents, the purpose-driven society that would have prepared infrastructure to make that site better prepared for when pandemics do come. Yes. I, I think, you know, another glimpse into that, uh, what would uh, possible um, reactions or policies from a Khilafah would be like, for example, during the time of Omar bin al-Khattab, they're talking about universal basic income right now. During Khilafah, he had universal basic income for everybody, man, woman, child, uh, you know, everybody had uh, this, uh, you know, stipend that they had access to. If we look at during his Khilafah, during Amr Ramadan, you know, this this year of uh, famine, uh, the uh, there was a, a freezing of prices for basic necessities. So you can overcharge because there was such a demand for consumption of basic necessities. It's a free, you know, people can charge what they want, but Umar bin al-Khattab wanted to make sure that uh, it was maintained. And he set the example himself. You know, this was uh, the year that uh, he barely ate any meat. He didn't eat anything that was hard for the general population to acquire. So. I think we 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 see uh, glimpses of that, uh, you know, from policies, uh, you know, within the Khilafah that uh, people are implementing now. They're talking about, OK, 
this universal basic income or the stipend so that society can function, people can pay for their basic goods uh, and uh, necessities. You see, uh, you know, people talking about, uh, you know, making sure at least basic supplies that your population has access uh, to that, you know, and, um, and, 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 and people, uh, you know, this whole celebrity culture now is starting to, uh, you know, get a little bit of a blowback, right? So when celebrities are complaining about their uh, mansions and being imprisoned in their mansions, the general people aren't deifying these celebrities, but rather, you know, they're kind of bringing them down to a peg, say, hey, listen, you should be, you know, suffering like us, like, you know, you should, you know, people who are, you know, have these elite means uh, and uh, resources uh, should be uh, either sharing that uh, or at least very, at the very least not flaunting it in people who are just at this point trying to survive. So within, uh, I think that's where, uh, you know, we really have many instances in history that show the difference, uh, the different approach when the Khilafah was functioning from a place of principle from the Quran and the Sunnah and that it is supposed to be beneficial for uh, society at large. Because I think for, for starters, not only do we have guidance on how to deal with our, our own people, our own population or, you know, the own citizens, but there is that guidance um, uh, on how to deal with others. That's not uh, firmly established in terms of uh, being consistent with with others, right? With uh, with uh, uh, because they don't have like a Quran and Sunnah to derive their uh, their their uh, their value system from. I'll give you an example, and I and I was speaking to uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman about this uh, last week. Uh, you know, in the Islamic principle, when you have you've made a negotiation, okay, I'm going to sell you this uh, product. Nobody can come in afterwards and give a competing. Uh, bid for that, you know, like once the deal is done, I can't sell it to somebody else, even though they'll give me a higher price. This is Islamic principle. What's causing chaos right now in the United States amongst states themselves is they're bidding against each other for supplies and thereby also driving up the price uh, for uh, supplies. So for personal protective equipment, ventilators, they're bidding against each other for that. So it's causing within that system a lot of chaos. Uh, we recently also had uh, almost uh, uh, a potential bad situation with uh, between Canada and United States because they were trying to withhold uh, masks that were earmarked to come to us from 3M. So th you know we, they were they were you know trying to restrict anything being sent uh, out, outside any, from any company within the United States to send it out uh, you know outside of the country, even though uh, you know our hospitals our healthcare system was was reliant upon that. So there, I think there's so many instances that we can see, practically speaking, from just even a principal perspective and also from a historical perspective, uh, how a uh, Khilafah could have possibly functioned in uh, this type of pandemic. Well, I mean, uh, what we saw was um, there were cases of, of famine in Medina and uh, the, the Prophet's prohibition of f price fixing uh, was circumvented by sourcing additional grain from Egypt and so you need to have obviously access to the markets in Egypt and and have a system obviously uh, of, of unity between the lands by behind which you can manage these 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 prices of course Omar ibn Khattab uh, had another another way of dealing with uh, with a case of a person who was 
charging raisins at a very high price. Uh, he just said, uh, so at a yeah, so he was he was uh, doing it at a low price to undercut his competitors, and so he said, okay, raise your prices or leave the market because being at the market is a privilege. <laughs> right? uh, mm. So it's not going to force him, but it's all right. But then you have to get out the market though, so you can't sell your raisins to undercut your competitors unfairly. Um, and of course, what you stated about the, the price bidding on the ventilators happening in the United States between states, uh, states within the United States of America, this leads to artificially uh, artificially inflating the price of ventilators, making it uh, too cost prohibitive for many uh, for many people to get the kind of quantity to buy the kind of quantity they need for their healthcare systems in their in their respective states. Whereas if they were charged at one blanket rate and you know distributed more efficiently uh, like you see in, in happening in Europe uh, you wouldn't have these artificial uh, expenses and in England uh, using certain uh, governmental powers they asked private companies who make cars to start making ventilators and uh, and supply them uh, and which they, they have the power to to make that demand but yeah I mean, subhanallah as I said it's it's about um, uh, forward thinking planning ahead and as I said we were warned about you know Pandemic, pandemics from the World Health Organization for for years, decades even, because uh, we've we've had small scale pandemics occur. Um, we had there was a, I think it was the 1989 uh, uh, flu that originated from. Mm. Um, also, 1960s and 70s, there was also a, a kind of a, a type type of flu pandemics, which were I mean, it wasn't, wasn't as lethal as obviously the Spanish flu. But certainly uh, they were kind of spreading around the world and caught, and killing more people than seasonal flu. So these things happen, these things occurred, and it reminded me of um, what happened. Uh, there was a massive earthquake in uh, Turkey many, uh, many, many, many years ago, and the, the the houses that were built with cheap materials just to kind of you know give poor people some oh, people who are relatively poor income just some place some place to, to live in, uh, but with really poor uh, shoddy materials, uh, they collapsed during the earthquake. But the, the buildings built from the Ottoman era era which were had anticipated earthquakes who actually stood and continued to stand because this was the understanding that well earthquakes happen you can prepare for it and Japan does this all the time they when they build buildings they expect these buildings to be subject to to earthquakes and so it's it's the the planning ahead the foresight the uh, uh, uh what's it called uh, failing to plan is planning to fail um this stuff occurs because we we are not driven by a purpose anymore other than just continuing to exist in a state in a perpetual status quo, where the the only the only virtue is just quote unquote stability and no change, uh, with a, a a power structure that exists to be self-serving because that's how they don't they don't have any higher value than just self-serving. So people will, will only care about their own family, they care about their own uh, supporters, their their own uh, uh, neighborhoods or what have you. And they're not. Um, other people around the country, those who need help, those who are, who are not part of their supporters. This, you know, it's, I almost view it as a kind of a type of anarchy in a way um, in the Muslim world. That, uh, some people call it jahiliya. It's, uh, it's not an absence of government because even in a, if the central state collapsed, there'd always be rival gangs who would rise up and become regional powers in each area. It is that there's no higher purpose or principle than just self-preservation and the attaining of social ranking, like, you know, uh, uh, getting respect, like gang in, in mafias and gangs, um, the only real currency is respect. If you don't have that, then you're basically, you know, no one's going to uh, recognize your rights or give them to you. If, but if they're almost living for a higher purpose, yeah. then we think, you know what, uh, forget about just 
maintaining a status quo? How do we actually avert potential problems? Uh, and if these problems happen, Allah will account us for this. You know, people say to us, uh, oh, you know, you know, uh, look what happens in, in Yemen. I feel sorry for those people in Yemen. Uh, uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's Qadr of Allah, what can you do? And I say, well, actually, you can do quite a lot. And secondly, um, on the, in the hereafter, those people who died in Yemen will be feeling sorry for you because they were the test. Uh, you have a duty to them and you didn't help them. You didn't do anything to, to change their plight. And so Allah's not callous. Allah's not unjust. He didn't just, oh, he's going to punish some people randomly and not, and, and you're, if he's not punishing you in this life or you're not, you're, you're, you're not getting those kind of tests, you're somehow in, in his good books. No, that was the test. They are suffering. Uh, many people are not doing anything about it. And on their judgment, they will regret not doing anything. I actually fear for myself um, and my own, uh, 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 the, the, the neglect I feel that I'm, I, I, maybe I thought I could do something more. Maybe I thought I could say something more. I could, I could do something. I fear for myself when I see the, the trials and tribulations and tragedies happening to our brothers and sisters in places like Yemen, because that we will all be accounted for that. We will all have to answer. We will be asked about that. And if we don't have a good answer, and then, you know, then I, I fear, you know, that Allah could do with us as he wishes. And, you know, uh, so may Allah, may, uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, give us the life and opportunity to actually make those amends, to to uh, deal with the things that we are neglecting, to, uh, to, to help us fulfill our obligations, to redeem ourselves for our past indiscretions, and inshallah be better Muslims and inshallah be mu'mineen. And, yeah. uh, and you know, barakallah feek for for inviting me. The the time for Isha is coming, and I'm I'm kind okay. of. Uh, and we started the session when Maghrib had, be, had begun, so I haven't been able to do this. So I'm going to inshallah have to have to shoot off and do that. Uh, pre okay, <laughs> no, I I appreciate that, and I think just on that last note, uh, I think uh, you know if we want to look at it uh, in another way, is that um, uh, as Muslims, you know, you're saying that we should have a purpose, and so we know the trajectory of where we should be going is towards Ihsan. So just because we're Muslim and we have Islam does not necessarily we have the the all the branches of Iman fulfilled or nor are we uh, like yearning for Ihsan. So, uh, you know, I hope at a time like this we can get back on track to go above that status quo and, and reach for Ihsan. And Jazamah Khair once again uh, for your time, effort, energy uh, and being with us. And uh, inshallah, we got to do this again. Inshallah. Right. Give my salam to everyone in, in Canada and uh, stay safe, brothers. Assalamualaikum. You as well. Zamakhar. And we will see uh, everyone back Thursday uh, evening, uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for our next uh, podcast episode. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to keep us uh, firm on his path. Uh, we ask Allah SWT to protect us and our families and that we develop a solid purpose during this time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.